0: Hello and welcome to this latest Business Leader Insight, where I will be talking today to the Action Coach founder, author and businessman, Brad Sugars. For those of you watching for the first time and unfamiliar with Business Leader, do check us out at www.businessleader.co.uk and you can also find all of the old and future Business Leader Insight interviews there too. So we'll go over to Brad now. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Uh, Brad. I'd just like to start today uh, by taking you back to your youth uh, i've read a bit about it. you I understand that as a teen you saved all your money to attend a seminar from a business coach and you were one mm-hmm. of the youngest there i just want to get a kind of an insight into why why did you do that and that that's not necessarily what all teenagers would do
1: yeah look i was i was very lucky when i was 16 i won the rotary youth leadership award and rotary club the it's called ryla and so they sent me away for a week-long training on how to be successful how to be a leader And, uh, from there, I just, I got the yearn to learn. I got the desire to keep learning and growing. And that seminar was with Mr. Jim Rohn, E. James Rohn. Uh, he even taught me even further that, you know, if you want to be successful, read a book a week for the rest of your life. And, you know, I started then at 16 reading a book a week and I literally invested every dollar I made at the bookstore. I think I was probably their best customer. <laughs> this was before you could YouTube everything and, and get podcasts and, you know, download it all. But uh, every week I'd be in there buying another book or two and just kept learning. Uh, and I think that simple philosophy of if you want to earn more, you got to learn more got me way ahead of
0: where most of my teenage friends were at. And do you still uh, just quickly read a book a week, Brad? Uh, these days I
1: have them read to me because you got audible. So.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough
1: and the reason it's funny to me is because mr roan used to say you know you can't have no one can do your reading for you if he was alive today he would know that you know that's that's the case someone does read them to me but i think it's at least a book a week these days because with podcasts and things i probably consume three or four podcasts a week and yeah highly consumable information on whatever it is that i'm looking to do if i have a goal then i have a simple formula it's dream goal learn plan act once you set a goal you have to then create a learning around that goal. Because let's say you want to run a marathon, you don't have the knowledge to run a marathon if you just created the goal. And it's the same in business. If you want to double sales, you're probably going to have to read half a dozen books on how to double sales type thing.
0: No, I understand. No, thanks for that, Brad. I just want to now look, look back. I mean, you, you, know, you started to really, really kind of grow your businesses in the 1990s. How do you look back on that period and, and how it was different to now? I mean, you mentioned kind of the emergence of sort of podcasts and things. mm
1: yeah, in those days, you know, pretty much uh, we, we did a lot of live events. So I traveled a ton. Um, I still remember in the early days, there were two, two years in a row where I did more than 200 room nights in hotels, which obviously meant more than 200 flights. And it was like, dang, that and, and that methodology burned, you know, it was a very quick burnout methodology of growing a business. So a lot of business owners have fallen into this whole hustle and grind mentality And I think that we need to get away from that into the smart moving, you know, in 2008, when the uh, recession hit there, I spent a year traveling the world teaching and I think I reached, you know, a couple hundred thousand people this year when the economies tanked in or last year in 2020, when they started going down, I reached probably half a million people in the first couple of months because I was on here. I was online and reaching people and just helping people survive. Because this is my fourth economic downturn that I've been running businesses through. But um, I think, yeah, just going back to, you know, technology has shifted. The actual business hasn't shifted. Relationships and building relationships hasn't changed. Doing good marketing hasn't changed. Just the techniques of marketing have changed. Uh, Doing great sales hasn't changed. Just the techniques or the technologies have changed. Um, So those fundamentals are still fundamental. The challenge is now what,
0: what methodologies or what technologies do you use to deliver it? No Thanks, uh, Brad. I, I, I heard you on Clubhouse, must have been a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was really interested by, um, you were talking about the insight of what it takes to grow a million pound business compared to a billion pound business and that, and that yeah. kind of thinking, and obviously a lot of people, they'll think I want to get from one to five or one to 12 million, but they won't think how do I get from one million to one billion. I just want to get your insight into what thinking you need and, and why more people don't do that.
1: I mean, ultimately, most, uh, let me go to the answer to that last question first. Why don't people do that? Most people build a business based on their own personal needs and wants, and they just sort of sit back and think, you know, well, I need a 100 grand a year to make my life comfortable, so I'll build a business that makes me a 100 grand a year, therefore, that's enough. They don't look at the end user market and say, okay, I'm going to build a business based on the, the size of the market rather than... The size of what I personally want, or they use the 10% more growth methodology. You know, last year we did X, so this year we're going to do 10 or 20% more than X type thing. The difference between a million a year and a a billion a year is quite substantive. And and I'd say it boils down to three main things. Number one is vision, and that is the vision to build something of that size. It's real interesting. If I hired someone to run a business, I said to them, okay, your job is to make this a million pounds a year, they would write a million pound a year business plan. But if I turned to them and said, your job is to create this as a billion pound a year business, they would write a billion pound a year business plan. You know, I mean, you understand, it's just that simple decisional difference of what it is you're going to make in your business. The second main one is geography. You know, if you're going to create a million a year, you're probably a localized geography of some sort, either one city, one state, one country type thing. If you're going to go a billion, you're going to have to go global or you're going to have to go international at some level. I mean, it's rare that you have a billion pound a year business in one country type thing. You know, usually it's multiple countries, multiple geographies. And that's why when someone went to test someone's mindset, and I think we had this chat on Clubhouse was what's your strategy to open in India? You know, and people look at me funny when I ask that question, but here you've got the fastest growing, youngest market, more, more new millionaires created per year than most countries have actual millionaires. You know, that, that sort of philosophy of what are you doing to open in these markets? I mean, if we look at it very, very bluntly, Africa's about a billion, Europe's about a billion, uh, the, the Americas is about a billion, and Asia's four, four and a half billion people. You know, that, that that simple philosophy. And I think the third thing that I would say, the difference between a million and a billion is, a, a million pound business creates a model that works and creates a singular model that works. A billion pound business takes that singular model and replicates it in thousands of places type thing. I'll give you a quick example of that. One that everybody knows, Ray Kroc. The McDonald brothers had their store and Ray Kroc said, how can I put this on every street corner sort of thing? And, and for me, I, I've just invested in a beer business and they've got a great beer company built around one person's personality, a sports star. And I, I sat down and looked at it and I said, wow, your system for evolving this beer business is phenomenal. We could do this with any sports star, any actor, any anyone with a fame, we could create a beer business around that. So my... They, they, they're looking at, they're very excited because they're at 2 million now. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, okay, you could probably take that singular brand to maybe five, maybe 10 million. Five is, is a good push, but 10 would be really solid push. But if we did this with a thousand different sports stars around the world, then you've got a multi-billion dollar business. So that's sort of the three main aspects to it.
0: That's really interesting. And and I guess I think I remember you kind of alluding to the the Disney model of having kind of a product that you can kind of sell and replicate across the world is really important, isn't it? Disney is the ultimate example of what I call leverage, do the work once and,
1: and sell it forever type thing. You know the mouse is still sold. How many ways does Disney sell the mouse? You know, if you can sit down and look at there's there's hundreds of ways they sell real estate. they sell uh, boat trips, so uh, vacations, hot hotels. You can even buy real estate on Disney property in Florida type thing and have your own home at Disney, Disney World. And then there's the TV and that Disney is probably the biggest genius. If you want to study a great company, Disney would be a great company to study on that front of how to do the
0: Disneyfication of any product or service. No, thanks, bro. I just want to now talk about. I, I know you've, you've you've kind of been in the UK. That uh, I know, know how much kind of insight you have into mm. uh, the market. But in in the UK, people tend to kind of build or, or want to exit quite quickly. And mm. if you look around the world, you know the Facebooks, the Teslas, the Twitter, the Amazon, the BMW. That you know they're typically American, sometimes German, sometimes Japanese. I mean, some would say that's a good thing to to exit quickly. But why do you think Americans mainly want to kind of build empires, whereas the the the, the, the uh, Brits might not? You know, it's a really interesting, and it's a
1: it's a tough question, because if you look at uh, Sir Richard, you've got an a, a empire builder, right? So, the most famous British entrepreneur is an empire builder, and yet people do exactly what you said. You know, there's a speed to, to exit. I mean, the Italians and the French and the Germans are amazing empire builders, if you look at the brands that they've built and, and the phenomenal level of it. I think there are more uh, empire builders in the UK than we see. But if I can be very UK about this, they don't want to be known. They don't want to be the, the famous type person, that sort of thing. Their, their business doesn't depend on their fame. The Facebooks and the Teslas and the Twitter, see these are dependent upon the fame of the owner. The the owner's fame is wrapped up. And I think that's a big difference between the US and the UK when you sit and look at that. I'm interviewing Sir Alan Sugar in a few weeks time. And it's, it's interesting that he's another one, him and Sir Richard are sort of the only ones that really put themselves out there type thing. And I think that's a big difference between it. The UK produces some of the best entrepreneurs in the world but they stay in the UK. And that I think is one of the main empire differences. Those who go external, those who go global do phenomenally well. Those who stay within the UK and don't take on the US as a a market type thing. And even if you just look at the music business, you've got a bunch of amazing musicians and, and singers and artists in the UK that never take on that US market. Me coming from Australia, If I didn't go global, there's no way, I mean, Australia is so tiny in market size, large land mass, but tiny in market size, it was hard to go and create a massive business in, in little old Australia. So I had to go Asia, I had to go Europe, I had to go to Americas and stuff. And I think that there are more empire builders than we think of in the UK, but it's also become very sexy to exit. Rupert Murdoch was one person that I followed a lot on business in certain aspects, not necessarily other aspects, but certain things. And, and you sit down and you think, he is an empire builder. You know, He's, he's not about what is my latest share value. He's about what value we're we creating for 10 years and 20 years down the road. And I think that long-term thinking is harder. And especially because The millennial generation has been brought up with a very instantaneous thinking. And that's why in and out in three to five years, and I think a lot of that's become because of venture capital companies. Venture capitalists want to be out in three to five. And so they push entrepreneurs to go out faster and taking that venture capital rather than uh, bank loans and that sort of thing. And that's part of it. The banks aren't willing to fund businesses so therefore they have to take venture capital. They have to take an exit in three to five to to be taking that capital.
0: No, thanks, uh, Brad. I think, yeah, uh, uh some really you you've kind of hit, hit the points on, on on the nose there with that one. Um I just want to move on now and just talk about, you know, you talked about entrepreneurism and and you've oh. obviously built built lots of businesses. I just want to get an insight into sometimes when you might be working on something and you know it's it's um, maybe not going to fly. I mean, how do you emotionally detach yourself from that and, and know when to fold and say, look, i got to move on here? Yeah, look, that, that is a really interesting question. And, and for
1: me, it's time value of money. So, you know, I currently run 11 companies. I've got uh, nine standard companies, two tech companies. And, and I sit back and I look at them. And there's one literally three months back where I said to my partners in the business, listen, I'm out. Either you buy me out, we sell the business, something, but I'm out. There is no, this is not worth my time to be con- continued with this. And we we as a rule, my CEOs in my companies, we as a rule have a 12-month turnaround. Either in 12 months, this thing has made its money back or we need to exit it because it's it's just not worth our time. It It might be worth our money. You know, we might still be getting a reasonable return. But it takes management and it takes, you know, attending board meetings and reading board reports and reading CEO reports. So it's really a time value of money. Twelve months is generally our time limit on an organisation that we put our money into and saying, "Yep, are we making it? No. okay,
0: we're out. Okay, now that's interesting. So I have almost a formula for it then. Yeah, look, I. What I've found as an investor, not
1: just as an entrepreneur but as an investor, unless you have a set of written rules for yourself, things you come up when you're in logic moment, you know like in real estate, if I don't have a logical set of rules to follow, there's a lot of homes I'd like to buy. you know but if they don't meet my logical rules and now that I'm not doing it, uh, you know we have realtors doing it for us, here are the rules that we'll buy. If they don't meet these rules, we're not going to buy. If they meet these rules, yes we'll buy. And so I think that that understanding of having a set of documented rules, and that's when people come in and say, "Well, what should I invest in?" I say, "Well, maybe some books, so you don't have to ask me such a silly question." You know, because if you if you had the knowledge, you wouldn't have to ask me that question. And whenever people ask me what to invest in, I just say real estate. I say, "What sort? Any? Just buy a house, rent it out. Twenty years from now, you've, the mortgage is paid off by the tenants. You're good. You got a four hundred percent return. But what if it doesn't go up in value? do not matter." You, you put in 20%, you borrowed 80%, someone paid the 80% off for you, in 20 years, you can retire owning that house fully free and clear, go for your life. And people are kind of like, well, that seems too simple. Okay, then don't do it. <laughs> I, I, I find that people ask for information about how to be successful in business and then they don't do it. It's like, okay. So I had a guy reach out to me yesterday who said, can you be my mentor? Sure, have you read all my books and done all my online training? No, okay, start there. But but I'd like you as my mentor. Great. Start with the basics and, and do that. You know, we've got to as human beings recognize when we ask for uh, guidance, that unless we act on that guidance, we're basically denying. I mean, with, with knowledge comes a responsibility to act on that knowledge. Otherwise,
0: you're choosing not to be successful. I just want to know, just talk about your, your kind of personal brand. Mm-hmm. and How important do you feel it's been to invest in that in, in relation to the impact it has on your businesses? Yeah, look, uh, we, I
1: put me, I made a decision probably 14, 15 years ago to pull back my personal brand because I used to do a lot of seminars and a lot of things like that. And when I became a dad, it was like, you know. Do I want to be on the road teaching other people about success, or would I rather be at home teaching my own kids success? And I prefer to be at home teaching my own kids success. So I've spent a lot of time with that. Now my two, I have five kids. So my two eldest are now, first one's in college in Boston, the next one's going to Alabama next year. And then I have the young, uh, the twins are seven and the babies two. And it's like, you know, I need to start building my brand back out there in the marketplace again and actually controlling that brand. Now, I'm going to give you a lesson for everyone out there. If you choose to not control your brand, you're letting other people control it. And I, I made that mistake when I stepped back to be a dad. And, you know, I wasn't putting information out there, I wasn't teaching, I wasn't online as much. And, uh, You know, if you don't ask your best customers to uh, give you testimonials, then only your worst customer's word is ever heard. In this day and age, from a marketing perspective, uh, reviews, testimonials, specifically video testimonials, ratings, rankings are probably the most important part of marketing in this day and age. Awards, um, things that you, you do. And that's why for Action Coach as a company, you know we we enter every award possible because we need that external validation of who we are. We we ask all of our customers to tell us because if you don't get your best customers to tell their story, then only your worst customers will ever tell the story. If you look at a book on Amazon, let's say it's a book by a political f- uh, figure, right? That book will have a rating of three. Not because everyone gave it a three, but because everyone gave it a five and everyone gave it a one. You know, it's that that sort of thing. So you've got to you've got to be clear on making sure you ask your best customers to talk about your book
0: or about your yeah. business. No, thanks. Uh i just want to also yeah uh, stay on the kind of personal theme i mean what kind of keeps you up at night in terms of what scares you and these could be like you know external political factors that are coming down the road or threats to your business or you know what what kind of some what what are the things that kind of make you think shit i you know i have to deal with this you know I, i'm an australian so very little worries me um you know it's like that whole convict
1: mentality i'm not in jail so life's good um you know it's it's, it's that I used to always joke when I come to England, I always tell the joke of, yeah, you guys sent all the fun people to Australia 200 years ago, you know, and, and it's that, that whole mentality. But um, so very little worries me anymore. I don't I, I've chosen not to do worry. I choose to look at things and learn and educate myself. So if we go back to, you know, 2019, I, I talked to my team because we'd been in an economic summer from 2012 to 2020. That's a long time to be in boom. And, and it was like we it's got something's got to change this. And I always thought maybe it's China, maybe it was Brexit, maybe it was Taiwan, um, maybe it was gonna be the US elections in 2020. You know, what was gonna be the thing? None of us planned a pandemic was gonna be the thing that turned an economy. But most of all, if if I was to sit down and consider what it is that I'm most concerned with, obviously my, my family, that's that's sort of pride and number one, but that also includes my team. You know, I have franchise partners in a lot of our companies around the world, and I'm considering them every day as to what are they doing? How can they succeed? But most of all, because I'm the chairman of my companies now, I'm not CEO, I'm not day to day or week to week, I'm chairman. So my job is three, five, 10 years down the road. Where does this company need to be? So being the visionary and setting us up for three, five years down the road so that because like for Action Coach, you're talking about a company that's in 80 plus countries that has more than a thousand offices. To turn that ship or to move that ship, it takes years. You can't move it in a day because you've got to move the psychology of the humans. You've got to move all that. You've got to shift the culture of the organization. That also being said, I'm always thinking about what's the next thing that I need to teach our clients? Because we have hundreds of thousands of business owners we work with. And I, as a thought leader, I have to take that responsibility very heavily that what I teach people implement. And so I need to be watching and learning and seeing what's going on. And that's why you mentioned Clubhouse. The reason I'm on Clubhouse is just watching, okay, what's the latest things that are going on? Where is this? How is this happening? What's moving? What's changing? And, and to see that evolution of business and that evolution of education is quite quite amazing.
0: And what, what, have, what have been your early impressions of Clubhouse, Brad?
1: You know, uh, for some, it's a big time suck. Those people that allow Clubhouse to take their time would have allowed anything to take their time. So it's just another methodology for them to invest their time. It's taken social media to an immediate medium. So Facebook and Instagram and all of these have been trying to get live video to be its thing. But they've not worked out how to make it interactive. What Clubhouse has done is worked out how to get interactive social media, immediate, and that sort of thing. You're talking about people getting on there and spending two, three hours sitting on, on rooms learning and studying and understanding and participating and chatting and, and doing that sort of thing. In this you know, viral virtual world, I think there couldn't have been a better time for Clubhouse to to be out there. It could not have been a better launch time. And maybe we will see in this era, the same as we saw from 2008 to 2010, we saw the launching of Instagrams and WhatsApps and Uber and and Airbnb and all of these things that came out of people who lost their job and had to innovate. I think we're gonna see some of the most amazing innovation in the next one or two years coming out of the 2020 for people who lost their job, but also people who just kind of grew tired of their job and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm enjoying working from home. I enjoy this new virtual world. So, you know, the revolution in thinking comes about through necessity in most times.
0: No, no, definitely. Interesting. And I just want to get like, you know, obviously it's all about omni-channel in terms of marketing now, but if you... Mm. What's to kind of have a business and, and, and you, you know, you, you had one kind of route to try and attract customers. Would you use social media, PR? You know, what, 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 what do you really like to do? What do you think is most effective?
1: You know, one of the things that very few businesses understand is that other businesses have a great relationship with their customer base. And if you can leverage that relationship they have with their customer base, it can explode you very quickly. And I did it back in the early days. I partnered with newspaper companies and magazine companies and radio stations. They all had thousands or tens of thousands of business owner clients who they wanted to help grow their business because, you know, like you guys as a magazine, your advertisers, you want them to do better. And so these companies brought me in to teach them how to answer the phone when the phone rang or teach them how to do sales. And, and so those strategic partnerships, one of them in particular, put me in front of two hundred and eighty eight thousand small business owners in two years. You know that that simple relationship launched our business, didn't just just do a small thing. And so yeah, big big one there is strategic partnerships. and I teach. A strategy called host beneficiaries, a strategy called piggyback marketing. There's so many of those strategies. They're in all my books, but I think that's probably the one I would use most. I think people are too fast. Let me also flip back. They're too fast to go to social media instead of SEO. SEO is about people who are already looking to buy your product. Social media is about you trying to convince people to buy your product. If your SEO is bad and your website is bad, I don't care how much social media you do, trying to convince someone to buy from you is very different than the opposite of that of when someone's already searching for you. If you're not running Google ads or Bing ads or or YouTube ads, you're crazy because people are already searching for what you are selling and they're not finding you and yet you're spending all this time trying to convince someone to search for you and buy your stuff. So I think you've got to be look for those who are looking for you rather than those who you're trying to convince to look for you.
0: No, really interesting point there. But I think, yeah, it's quite easy to forget the fundamentals, isn't it? There? Um, oh, yeah. No, no, definitely. Are, are you, are you based in, are you in America now? Are you? Yeah,
1: I'm I married to American, so I'm an Aus-American now, dual citizenship. <laughs> uh, I, I'm an Australian and an American. I live in Las Vegas and people always ask why Las Vegas? And I, my answer is simple. It's the only city in America fun enough for an Australian to live in so you know that's that's definitely a part of it but um yeah it's yeah once you marry an american and you know our kids are all both
0: americans and australians as well so that's kind of cool as well <laughs> nice just um want to get your i mean how, how 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 are things over there in terms of as the mood changed from sort of trump to biden and yeah
1: yeah look um you know i America, politics is far more upfront and in your face than it is in pretty much anywhere else we do business in the world. It's not as in your face. But the best description I can give of American politics is it's like sports. You know, what's your favourite sporting
0: team? It's football. It's a team called Ajax. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right. So whether they're having a great season or an awful season, they're still your favourite team, right? Yeah. And if for five years they had awful season... You'd still have them as your favorite team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's American politics. Whether the Democrats or the Republicans are good or bad, if you're a Republican, they love them no matter what. If you're a Democrat, they love them no matter what. They need to yeah. be more in, independent voters who move from party to party based on the, 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 the leader of the time. You know, I think that President Trump should have been called CEO Trump. Um, He was never really presidential, and I think we all recognize that factor about him. But he was a great CEO of America. You know, he ran it to the bottom line, and that's what he did. And so Biden, on the other hand, um, if you can consider him to be actually running it rather than Kamala Harris, I think that you're going to see far more social swing and far more internationalism. and, And that's what Obama did. And, and i think that around the world we're seeing this battle in all countries the uk' is going through it too battle between internationalism and localism we're seeing that battle go on in politics and i see today though that we don't really have politics we have personality ticks and, and it's no longer about the policies it's about the personalities and and the big personalities are what is sort of out there and i' i'm i'm loath to look at it from that perspective but you know i i still think that my business will survive this politician and they'll survive the next politician and and i don't really care about who's in in favor what i care about is what's my business doing 10 20 years from now and we will have you know each party for four to five years and then we'll have the other party and then we'll have that one and then we'll have that one and then we'll have that one and so if if in business you're worried about that particular party i think you're thinking too short term
0: i t- totally agree um uh, brad yeah josh who's just running this just a shout out to ask you uh, a question which is yeah uh yeah quite interesting what what's one fact that we can't find about you online brad
1: um but i do know you see you can you can check my instagram you can see that i love wake surfing um <laughs> actually i just here's one that, that i haven't put up because uh, i'm still learning and i bought an e-foil i'm not sure if you've seen those i love grilling that's that's something most people don't see but again i put that on instagram i I love great steak and I love grilling and smoking and all that sort of stuff. I love crime TV. I Probably probably yeah. that's the thing. I love crime shows on TV because they make you think. I love TV that makes you think or movies that make you think rather than just, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, okay. The mindless, thoughtless Bravo TV channels of real, unreal housewives of anywhere. Um, <laughs> that, that stuff annoys the heck out of me. But having... Having four daughters and two teenage daughters, they love that stuff. I'm like, seriously? You, I, I'm pretty sure I just became less smart for the two minutes I watched that show with you. So, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm trying e-foiling, which if you haven't seen that, it's a surfboard with a motor down on the foil. And it's a self-propelled surfboard. So I'm going to have to learn that. And, uh, and, and it's my 50th birthday
0: in a, in a couple of months. So it's like, all right, I'm going to be doing that on my 50th birthday. So
1: we'll see how it goes.
0: Nice. And just one, yeah, one final question. But um, what what, what do you miss about Australia? Obviously, you you go back, but one thing you could have in in the States. Sausage rolls. Sausage Sausage rolls. rolls.
1: Yep, definitely sausage rolls. It's uh, the foods, the foods of my childhood growing up, like pavlova and and all of these Aussie foods that I just don't get. But my wife does make, my sister-in-law gave her a great recipe for sausage rolls. So now my wife makes them for me here. And it's like, no. Yeah, but I, I love the attitude also of Aussies, the very easy going. But I also hate the Aussie attitude of Aussies. And the English are like this as well. Uh, it's all poppy syndrome, you know. Oh, you're successful. You must, have, you must have sold drugs or you must have cheated or you must have done something wrong. I hate that attitude about Australians. And I think it is the convict mentality that's still there, that if you're successful, you must have done something wrong. And it's that whole philosophy because... I'm not backward in coming forward that I have, you know, I have a beautiful Rolls Royce and, and yeah, I do my drive times for my Rolls Royce with my Lamborghini. I'm not backward in coming forward about the fact I've worked my tail off to have this success. And it was a great lesson I learned as a young man and it was, it was a religious lesson, but what you deny in others, you deny in self. And uh, if I'm not excited about someone else's success, then basically what I'm saying to myself is I shouldn't have success. If I'm not ecstatic about watching someone else do well and that's what I love about America I remember in Australia I had a beautiful bright yellow Lamborghini in Australia and and I was driving down the street and a guy walking across the street looks at me across the street and yells obscenities and gives me the finger and because I have a beautiful car you know and and that's Australia unfortunately and and I'm here in America I remember driving in my beautiful blue Rolls-Royce drophead coupe the Phantom And I'm driving down to the Strip one night to go for dinner with uh, my family and this guy, two young guys pull up in a Honda CRV next to me and they put the window down and they yell out, they lean out the car. Hey, buddy, great car. Well done. (laughs) Like that attitude to me in America is what I love about this country. If you're successful, people celebrate you. They don't beat you up and knock you down. And, And that to me is is what I love about this attitude of this country.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Great to talk to you, uh, Brad. Yeah, I, I, I understand you're going to be in the UK soon. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Virtually, of course, because travel is not there, but uh, BizX, massive event, 16 speakers over two days. Uh, me, Sir Alan Sugar, so sugars versus sugar, that'll be an interesting one. Um, and uh, Marcus Buckingham, uh, who else we got? We've got um, Seth Godin, the Master of Marketing, Ge- Jeffrey Gittimer, the Master of Sales. There's so many great Olympians. We've got all of the most amazing speakers. So, um, I'm excited to be speaking on that stage and uh, I'll, I'll be learning as well as speaking at that one.
0: Is there anything you wanted to add that we didn't kind of cover? Um, yeah, for, for, for the viewers and readers.
1: I think that ultimately um, success is yours if you wanna grow into the person that becomes successful. Many years ago, I set a goal of retiring at age 25. In fact, when I met Jim Rohn at 16, I set that goal. I remember my friend who I told Leon, he said, yeah, I wanna do that too. And he told his dad and his dad sat us down and told us why that's not possible. Now, here's here's the thing. When you set a goal, someone will tell you it's not possible for one simple reason, that's the truth. The person you are when you set the goal is not the person that will achieve that goal. You have to grow into your goals. You have to, the reason you set a goal is to grow, to learn, to become that person. And when you set the goal, you have to be clear that I'm willing to grow. And what they didn't know about me is I was growing. I was changing. I was going to become that person that would achieve that. And that's where I think every one of us needs to understand that most of us overestimate what we can achieve in one year because you can't grow a lot as a person in one year. You can grow a fair bit, but not a lot. But we underestimate what we can achieve in 10 because you can grow massively as a person in 10 years. You know, you can definitely become that person. And so become a millionaire up here and in your heart. Your head, what's in your head and your heart ends up what's in your wallet type thing. What's in your head and heart determines your relationships. It determines your health. It determines all those things. So. What you keep feeding yourself mentally and emotionally and spiritually and and all of those things, how you feed yourself in the mental capacity, that's where you end up. You know, if you don't know where you want to be in five years, you're already there is sort of the simplest way of saying that.